0: Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill and Associates. I'm Kayenne Isaacson. This week, we have a 321 Go with Cosmo Macero, an interview with Courtney Hurst, president of the Board of Trustees for the Pilgrim Monument and Provincetown Museum, and a two minutes with Tom. We discuss the ongoing government shutdown and what that now means for the State of the Union. First up, 321 Go.
1: Let's talk about something important. Welcome to 321 Go on OA on Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, Starbucks is fighting the squeeze from competitors and its own past service hiccups by rolling out delivery. Will will it help them regain control of the market it helped create? We'll discuss. And Boston developers are trying to rebrand an entire neighborhood – but it doesn't seem to be catching on. We'll see what's up with Uptown, better known as the very busy corner of the city around TD Garden. Finally, a thought-provoking piece in the Atlantic suggests a major impact of social media habits is the collapsing of barriers between different aspects of our own lives. What do you do when your therapist becomes Facebook friends with your college roommate? We'll explore. Joining me here on 321GO is Kyan Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA on Air. Cayenne, how are you this week?
0: I have no complaints this week. No complaints? No
1: complaints. Nothing. It's a short it's a short work week. Pretty good. All right, let's get to it. All right, Cayenne. first off, Starbucks, believe it or not, is uh, grappling with slowing foot traffic uh, and a lot of competition, a lot of competitors, um, and uh, they are looking for strategies to overcome that and sort of regain their upper hand in the market that they helped create. So what are they doing? Introducing delivery service. That's right, Starbucks Delivery, debuting in seven major U.S. cities. It's a partnership with Uber Eats. Uh, they just announced this this week that it's going to be in San Francisco, and then Boston, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C., not Seattle, their hometown, but whatever. Um, and uh, ultimately, a quarter of its stores nationwide should offer delivery. Um, they've had a, po- a, a partnership with Postmates since 2015, um, and then now joining forces with Uber Eats to bring delivery to new markets. Um, what do you think, Cayenne? And, and number one, have you? Because have have, I, I know you're, you're, you're a Starbucks uh, customer, Starbucks fan. I'm sort of an occasional customer. Um, have, have you seen this decline in foot traffic manifesting itself?
0: I really haven't. Now. I've seen less lines because more people are pulled around waiting for their mobile order to get ready.
1: And Uh, one of the things, one of the hiccups they experienced is once they rolled out the mobile app, uh, sort of the the, the in-person, in-line orders and the mobile orders were clashing in the wrong way and, 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 and they had some problems. I think they've resolved that. But go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: I think so. I love the mobile ordering app. Changed my life. It's great. A week ago. Was it a week? Just over a week ago, Saturday morning, my husband's like, God, I wish Starbucks delivered. Really? Yeah. Well, here you go. So I, I screenshotted the story when I saw it yesterday. I sent it to him. I was like, it's not the suburbs, but it's a start in Boston. Um, I, I'm i all for it on those, like, lazy days where you don't want to get out of bed and you just want, you know, a latte that you don't feel like, you know, I don't have a latte maker in my house.
1: but and, um. And I know one of the features of, of a Starbucks uh, coffee latte... Cappuccino is is it's not really that cheap. It's, got, it's kind of an expensive Frazzy. item. But still, I mean, are, are you going to be able to have a substantial enough order to warrant delivery, to warrant at least a $2.50 charge?
0: I think it's a great question. How does this work in terms of being lucrative for Starbucks, but not so expensive that customers aren't willing to walk a block? Because let's be serious, in most cities... Yeah. You can walk a block in any direction and find at least one Starbucks if not more.
1: Is, is this the new coffee run going on a coffee or no I'm ordering Starbucks for the office. 10 the cups office. of coffee. That's a big order. That's yeah. 40 bucks. Easily. More 50.
0: Throw in a couple of macchiatos and you're, you know, you're looking at well over 50. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know how the business model works. Personally, I'm I'm excited for it. How often do I really think I'm going to order my coffee to be delivered? I don't know. But and then
1: there's food items. Food, there's food items. I mean, this is a cheap shot. Sometimes I think the display food items that are like perfectly sort of manicured and maybe made of cardboard are, 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 are also what they're serving because I don't know if they've figured out the food items yet other than the pastry, right? I, yeah. I, I go to Starbucks. I'm getting coffee and not a lot else. I'm, I'm actually I'm getting a triple espresso is what I'm getting.
0: You do. You like just the straight-up espresso. Yeah. Um, my son likes their yogurt. I don't know. I mean, they've got some good stuff. But yeah. again... I don't know how sustainable it is that how many people are really feeling that lazy that they're not going to
1: get out and go. I think know, to I think it's a smart thing in cities. I think it's a coffee run uh, the new coffee Monday run, you Friday. call in Starbucks. It's a it's a $50 order. Who cares about the 250, you know? But yeah. if, but if you're spending 7 and bucks for a couple of coffees for yourself and your spouse, oh, let's just order it. And and you know, that's kind of silly.
0: I can see us in this office like on, you know, some rainy wednesday afternoon where like someone's like oh i need a cup of coffee but i don't want to go out and someone's being like oh i'm gonna order from starbucks yeah i could see like a whole bunch of people saying oh i'll order i'll order So maybe that's how it's gonna work yeah so when do we get to try it i don't know but we should i will lead the charge once it's active we will
1: live podcast our first starbucks, our first order. starbucks order let's right. do it sounds good
2: cappuccino
1: Okay, uh Kyenne. So the area of the city in the vicinity of TD Garden and North Station and what they call what they called Bullfinch Triangle. By the way, that's whose neighborhood? Ours. It's ours. That's yes. right. That's our neighborhood. Also right known here. as the West End. I know. Right, on the West End and and in the and in the backside of Government Center, it's it, it's kind of a mild no man's land of Boston over here. You got a the bad. you know. Um, it is the area around the garden It, it is <laughs> And there is tremendous uh, Remarkable and exciting development going on All along Canal Street I- In that area around the garden um, uh, A lot of high-end apartment uh, housing uh, A lot of terrific new concepts In terms of restaurants and nightlife And all kinds of lifestyle things It's a great, great, great district growing in Boston And the developers are are trying to rebrand it And, and they've come They've come upon the term "uptown," uptown, and, and they should stop. And it, it and it's not really catching on. And and, and it, what I love about this, I love the honesty. It's a story by Tim Logan, terrific reporter for the Boston Globe. I love the honesty of the guy from uh, from Boston Properties who says, "Yeah, it's not really catching on, but they're trying. <laughs> they're trying. I, I, you know, what do you do when you try to? How do you name? I mean, and, and how do you rename an entire neighborhood?" Just like, yeah, let's just rename it up, Tom.
0: So when I read this story and I knew we were going to talk about it, the first thing that kept coming to my mind was the phrase, stop trying to make fetch happen, (laughs) which is from Mean Girls (laughs) for anybody who isn't aware. But it's sort of that same idea. You cannot force these things. They have to be, I think, to really work somewhat organic to a certain extent. They have to make sense. Um, Right now, that area is either the area around the garden, or it's the West End.
1: On the West End or North Station, which is, you know, West End, not, North that Station. Does, that doesn't do it enough justice because North Station is really just a station. Both also Triangle's, nothing you know, in Boston makes sense. The, the, so you know, the Bullfinch Triangle is historic based on you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's not doing it. So I, I, I it's a, it's a. I don't know if it's admirable. It's an understandable effort. I don't know if it's necessary because it's a terrific neighborhood emerging. What from what is kind of a no man's land. Some some great stuff is happening. This is not unique in the city, by the way. The Seaport District, the you know the Fort Point, the Channel. It's gone through all the Innovation, South Boston waterfront. Yeah. all kinds of incarnations. And then in the story, Tim Logan talks about. The New York Streets District, which I honestly never knew about. I, we I have worked, one of those? Well, I worked on Albany Street. You no, know, it's like Albany, Oneida, all these named after cities in New York yeah. State. All that's left is Albany Street. I worked there for many years at the Boston Herald. And now that's a you know that, tremendous uh, development has happened there. But 10, 15 years ago, there was a whole movement to call it SOWA, S-O-W-A, South of Washington. SOWA, like soho in new york so i know about the
0: Soho market i actually never knew where the name came from so i just
1: learned something that didn't catch on
0: no no it didn't so, um midtown Mid- never
1: caught on when i was a young reporter at the herald or a new reporter at the herald and i was writing some developments from and i'm like oh and now a new building going up in midtown and my editor's like what are you talking about i'm like oh it's down on huntington there's no such thing as midtown in boston I'm like well there's the midtown hotel he's like yeah that's a hotel that's it. That, that's it. I'm like, oh, sorry. He's like, go back to your desk and shut up. <laughs> so it, it, I don't know if it's catching on. I don't think the initiative to redevelop this part of the city is going to suffer at all. It's kind of funny, though, because they're, they're trying to rebrand it, and it's not catching on.
0: No, we're not New York. We don't we don't have – we're not big enough for an uptown and a downtown, and that's okay. Let's, that's right. let's stick with what we're good at.
1: All right. <laughs> This is three, two, one, go. Coming to you from Uptown, (laughs) in our studios right off Historic Uptown. Hip O'Neill room. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. (laughs) All right, Cayenne. All right, Cayenne. finally, um, a thought-provoking article uh, in the current issue of The Atlantic, Social Media Outrage is Collapsing Our Worlds. It's by the writer Connor Friedersdorf. Um, Got me thinking a bit, got you thinking. um, Without going into all the details, the fundamental takeaway is that our habits in using social media and the way we interact with people uh, on different social media platforms is really breaking down the barriers uh, between the different parts of our lives, the different relationships, the di- you know, I call it the uh, the quadrants of my life, or the the different networks of people I have, those barriers that just existed naturally because they would never encounter each other otherwise yep. are completely broken down. So there are there are both positive and negative and just interesting impacts from that. And then we saw something manifest this week in Boston, a, a very sort of dramatic thing play out that's also related to this. Why don't you talk about that?
0: So in reading this article, we had some sort of side conversations about social media. Is it good? Is it evil? Is it powerful? Is it deteriorating our society? You know, all of those regular conversations I think most people have in their office space. But... um My first thought was I think this week was such a testament, at least here in Boston and really probably, you know, around the country in some ways with the case of Olivia Ambrose, who's the young woman who went missing from um, the bar on Saturday night. And she was found. And it's obviously through the amazing work of the Boston Police Department and so many others and MBTA Transit and, you know, but it was also social media. It was her family, her friends. Uh, media outlets pushing out pushing out photos, pushing out information, raising awareness. Um, I think was, it's a really that, powerful yeah. thing. When law,
1: well, well, during the the, the fast moving investigation and in the search, law enforcement was sort of expressing caution about, uh, you know, don't post this picture. It's in, but in the end, they actually credited the family and the and, and, and all of the intense activity around. Yeah. Let's find this young woman, which certainly contributed to. I think the great police work that, that 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 happened, the great investigating, and 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 all that stuff.
0: But, yeah, it brings in tips, and people are
1: call, making calls, and um, but, you know, but, for but this, there it, you have, there, so there you have people from all, all 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 walks of life, all over the place, unified by one thing, one mission: let's find this woman. And, and and that's really interesting that breaks down barriers that worlds collide right for good so that, for good for yes. good and and, and and i don't really have an opposite to that i i just have sort of i see worlds colliding all the time on social media i, I definitely see it on my own feed i've sometimes described my own facebook feed as kind of the wild west um, which it is because it, it it get it can be that way not always crazy start place. talking about current events and the president it gets crazy and and primary part of the reason the primary reason is this breaking down of barriers, worlds colliding. I've got networks of friends, like everyone does, from different parts of your life. People mm-hmm. that I've known since high school or before, people from college, people from my sort of professional life, people you kind of collect over the years as, as friends and acquaintances, uh, people from the media, all these different areas, Patriots fans, whatever. And... And 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 the common thread on my Facebook feed is, is is some relationship they have with me, one way or the other. It could be very tangential, or it could be lifelong. But they start to interact, and mm-hmm. sometimes it becomes explosive. <laughs> sometimes it's just kind of fun to see that someone who I know in no way would ever know this other person is all of a sudden having a conversation, and then and 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 maybe even developing their own online friendship. Uh, one time I saw. A Facebook friend of mine from a different part of my life that I know didn't know this other person until they started talking on my Facebook feed, you know, and and they liked some something of theirs, and I thought that's really cool. That's that, that's these worlds, these barriers coming down, and new relationships being formed. So I think that's a really cool thing. Yeah. Um. But mo- but most of the time, it's people throwing rocks at each other yeah. because half of them are on this side of the camp and half of them are on this side, and and it gets to be pretty crazy but 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 I think the idea of these barriers coming down is really fascinating. Everyone's social media platform, it's kind of like your own reality show. It's like your own personal Cayenne Isaacson, you know, real world. And you get to and hey, you get to choose what you put out there.
0: Um, you know, I we have new we have new interns here at O'Neill and Associates starting uh, for the spring semester and ch-
1: you're the chief intern men- mentor.
0: Do I go and I well, I, I I think that's Nairi. She runs the show, but like I, you know, I come in a close second, maybe.
1: Nairi and our uh, vice president of human resources. Nairi. Nairi. I'm sorry.
0: She got married. Um, So I speak with them uh, when they come in and I, you know, kind of try and answer questions and give them little tricks and tools of the trade. And one of the things we talk about is social media, social media responsibility. And, you know, one, clean it up. But two, you know, once you. Are going to engage with our clients and our our company and you know us as an organization. There's a certain level of professionalism and sort of respect that we expect will follow all of your social media outlets from then on. Um, it's an incredibly powerful tool. It is certainly going to change. It it already has. It has virtually changed the way we all interact with one another, um, and how that transforms into the future. I mean, we look at like my my son's you know baby, has grown up on on Facebook sure. and, and Instagram um, what that means to him when he is 16 and 30 and 50 I don't know that remains to be seen maybe I'm traumatizing him I have no idea
1: <laughs> it's true <laughs> the ability to forge relationships um, it, that you never would be able to to, 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 to establish has, be, has been completely opened up uh, through social yeah. media over the just over really over the past decade and changed it, the world and it, it, it's changed the world. All right, Cayenne. another action packed episode's in the books. Great talking with you as always. Great to be here. All right, thank you. That's going to do it for this week's edition of 321 Go. 321 Go is recorded in Studio 10A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room, at our building in the heart of Government Center and adjacent to Uptown, Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Masir.
0: That's all for 3, 2, 1, Go. Up next, an interview with Courtney Hurst talking about the Pilgrim Monument and the Provincetown 400 celebration.
3: This is Ann Murphy, Senior Vice President at O'Neill & Associates. I'm really excited to have as my guest today, Courtney Hurst, who is the President of the Board of Trustees for the Pilgrim Monument and Provincetown Museum. Courtney, welcome to our podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
3: Well, I know a little bit about the uh, Pilgrim Monument and Provincetown Museum, but I want you to tell
2: our listeners about it if they have never been there. Absolutely. It's a great spot. Uh, The Pilgrim Monument is the tallest granite structure in the United States and it was built to commemorate the fact that the Mayflower Pilgrims first landed in in Provincetown before they headed off to Plymouth. Many people don't know that. So the monument itself, which you can walk more than 200 feet up um, and get to the top and see the most beautiful views of Provincetown Harbor, Provincetown, you can really see all the way over to Plymouth. Uh, It's absolutely breathtaking up there. And then the monument at the base of the, or the museum at the base of the monument um, tells more of the Provincetown story. So whereas the monument itself is dedicated to the landing of the pilgrims, The museum really tells the story of Provincetown and all the pilgrims that have arrived on Provincetown shores since the first Mayflower Pilgrims did. So the museum speaks to the whole history of Provincetown, from the pilgrims to the fishing community that grew from there. Um, It's one of the oldest, it's the oldest continuous art colonies in the nation. Um, it's got a huge LGBTQT following and has for years. So, Provincetown has really been a place of acceptance and tolerance, and pilgrims of all sorts have come to Provincetown. So, the museum at the base of the, at the base of the monument really tells the Provincetown story and why it's such an important story for for history of of the nation itself.
3: Well, thank you for that, and and I know that in the building of the monument, which was such a task back in the early 19, uh, 1900s. What, what are some fun facts about the actual building of the monument?
2: Yeah, so uh, actually the, the two, two presidents visited, um, first when they laid the cornerstone to start building the monument, uh, and then when they dedicated the monument when it was done, so that's pretty amazing. There were presidential yachts in the harbor, and hundreds and hundreds of people uh, came from all over Provincetown and outside um, to dedicate the monument. Um, it actually was built by bringing um, granite from the wharf um, all the way, you know, down the street and up this huge hill where the monument sits. Um, so there was a track that brought the granite up, and uh, you know, brick by brick they built it. Uh, which is truly impressive. Even now, that is impressive. And if you think about it being done more than a hundred years ago, it's it's truly monumental. So, so no there pun was intended. so there was like a, a what a little railway track going up there. Yeah, it was a railway track uh, to bring the granite up. And then we actually, uh, as a current board of trustees, are just got a final Provincetown regulatory approval uh, to build a funicular. Uh, I love that name. (laughs) Let's put the fun in funicular, right? (laughs) right? So that is uh, an inclined elevator. So basically a tram. Um, People are calling it different Mm -hmm. different names. Um, But if you can imagine, a lot of old historic cities have them to get up to high elevations. So we're looking to replicate that first track that brought the granite up, except now we'll be bringing people up the hill. Uh, to really create more of a front door for the monument and museum. Um, It sits high on top of the hill. And as soon as you come to Provincetown, even when you're outside of Provincetown, whether you're coming by land or by sea, it's something you see right away um, from hundreds of miles out. But when you get into the town, it's really hard to figure out how to actually get up there. Uh, so by building a funicular, we'll be creating a clearer access to the monument, a new front door, uh, and actually just trying to connect the monument to the town philosophically as well. Um, so having it not kind of sit up on the hill isolated uh, and really create a way to get up there.
3: Now, is this um, construction going to be taking place soon? Do we?
2: Yeah, we expect to break ground in the fall of 2019 and we expect that the funicular will take its first ride in June of 2020. Well, I hope you're on that first ride. I hope I am.
3: <laughs> I think you should be after all the work that so. goes into I think this. so. And with the town and, and the community. And really, uh, congrats to you, and, you. The, and the board in and, and getting that done. But 2020 is a special year. And I know that um, you've been working hard with, with a lot of people on the 400th anniversary commemorations of when the Pilgrims first landed in
2: Provincetown. Uh, How is that planning going? It's going great. We're, lots of excitement is building down there. Uh, we have a, a few things planned already, and we're looking to add things to the calendar as we go. Uh, the thing we're one of the things we're most excited about is we're in final negotiations to bring the Mayflower into Provincetown, uh, which will time with when more than a thousand original Pilgrim descendants are coming to Provincetown to to visit the monument and the museum. Um, so to have all those Pilgrim descendants and the Mayflower in Provincetown. Uh, in 2020 is going to be truly spectacular. That'll be in September. Uh, And then events all around it, we're doing huge fireworks on November 11th to signify the days that the pilgrims actually arrived in Provincetown. We're going to have a gala. Uh, So lots of events in 2020. And then a lot of really fun themed parties in 2019 to do fundraising for all the 2020 events. Um, So the next couple years are going to be busy, but a lot of fun.
3: Well, I think that people should start planning their uh, vacations now and, uh, you know, as soon as they can start booking their rooms, because I think it's going to be a wonderful place to be throughout the entire year in 2020.
2: Yeah, we have a lot going on.
3: A lot going on. Well... What's the best way for someone to go about visiting the Pilgrim Monument in Provincetown Museum? Let us know what the best ways
2: are. And I know it's closed right now, but there are some things going on. Yeah, we're closed right now. We reopen in April for the season, and then we're open seven days from there. Uh, But we are doing some events throughout the winter season, so you can check our website. The next one that's coming up will be on February 2nd, and it's our Chamber Music Series, which is an amazing initiative we started just this year. Um, We took on... uh, buying a new piano, and and really trying to bring chamber music to the Outer Cape. Uh, Provincetown specifically is known for so many art forms, as I mentioned before. But chamber music uh, was one thing that was missing. Uh, so we had a really passionate group of people who came to us and said, we'd love to make this more part of Provincetown landscape and the museum seemed like the perfect place to house it. So we have a series that goes on, a number of concerts throughout the year, and the next one is February 2nd. It's at 7 p.m. Um, there'll be drinks served, beautiful music, and just a great time to get up to Provincetown and enjoy the solitude. Um, the summer's fun and the crowds right. are fun, but sometimes it's really nice to be there in the winter as well and experience the peace of that.
3: It's such a special place. Uh, how do people find out more about the uh, Pilgrim Monument and Provincetown Museum? Can they uh,
2: become members, donate? How do they do that? Absolutely. Um, visiting is a great way. Uh, and in the off season, you can come to our website. There's a place to learn what we're up to. There's a place to become a member. There's a way to donate. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. We, we're all over social media. Uh, so if you're, if, if you're not in season and can't actually come see us physically, you can find us online.
3: Well, some really exciting things going on at the Pilgrim Monument and Provincetown Museum over the next couple of years. I know I'm a big fan, so you'll see me, and I uh, look forward to coming back there, and thank you for joining us today, Absolutely. Courtney. Absolutely.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: And now, two minutes with Tom. Hello. Welcome back, Tom. Hey. We had a fill-in last week for you.
4: Back with my with the other powerful woman. Yes. Chayenne. Two nice minutes to with, with Tom.
0: Yeah. Good to have you here. Nice to be here. So last time we spoke, we signed off, and you were saying, hopefully the next time we talk, the government shutdown will be over.
4: So I missed you last week, mm-hmm. so it's two weeks again. And today marks the 35th day of a shutdown in our federal government. And uh, it's hard to believe. I've traveled a little bit over the last week, and um, at every airport, I can't tell you how, how nice all those folks at TSA have been, how, you know, how welcoming they are, and how every one of them has a smile, and I found myself thanking them for coming and doing the work without getting paid, to which they were very happy and thankful for that. Um,
0: and I'm sure it's gestures like that that are keeping them going at this point, uh, you know, to a certain extent.
4: Well, you feel you owe them something. I mean, you know, who wants to go to work and not get paid for the you know, for the work that you're doing, it's it's. I, I think it's pretty demoralizing. But, you know, here we are. So a lot of people are saying, well, we have two parties. It's up to the two parties to get together to draw a compromise and make this thing go away and, and open up the government again. But the fact of the matter is, you know, the, 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 the Democrats long ago gave this president a, a a negotiated deal, which they thought was going a long way, President has been asking for 5.7 or 8 billion dollars to create a wall. The, the you know the, the the area of the country they're talking about already has 700 miles of wall right now. Number one, and the Democrats were willing uh, to give him two and a half billion dollars more to get him where he wanted to be. The president, that is. In in for that, they wanted to legalize uh, all the DACA uh, people, all the kids that were on the DACA program, and uh, they said no. So now he's coming back and he wanted to take credit for closing down the government. He thought it would be the right thing and a good thing to do to show those Democrats that he could get people to the table and force them to negotiate, um, but, but it hasn't quite worked. And now he's being pushed back by a very, by a very tough Nancy Pelosi, who I think is, is doing the right thing, wanting him to come to the table, wanting him to talk, wanting him to put something on the table, and understands that the first person, in this case the Democrats, Going to the table to negotiate negotiates twice, and uh, they're prepared to do that, but they have no reaction back from him.
0: And it is now officially the longest government shutdown in the
4: history. Sure, almost by a a time and a half.
0: And um, another twist this week is the State of the Union, which is supposed to be next week. Is it the 29th? 29th. 29th. Yep. Um, And
4: Pelosi just said, hey, no, you're you're not invited here until we open up government again, forcing him to be not embarrassed by not having that State of the Union address on the date of the stated date that it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, he, he played some, I think, minor league politics, trying to come back and say, well, I'll do it at a rally or I'll hold my State of the Union address at, a, at another venue. The fact of the matter is, you want it to be in the capital of the United States. That's a history. And that's the legacy of where State of the Union addresses are, are given. And uh, you want the president to do that. But I think Pelosi, in, a, in, a, in an act of trying to get people to come to the table and negotiate, did the right thing to say, hey, look, you're not going to come and give us a State of the Union speech and grandstand mm-hmm. before the American public. What you're going to do is help us open this government up and, uh, and and get people back to work and paid.
0: And really, how do you, you know, on the other side of it, if you're Trump and, and his team, how do you really deliver a state of the union when the federal government is in the middle of a shutdown? Like I was struggling with that from a staffer perspective of what do you put in there? Because you can't ignore it. It the the state quote of the union is not that great right I now. I think he
4: thinks honestly that if he were to go before the American public again, he would talk about he would talk about the need to have a, a fence, you know, creating security for for the U.S. Uh, for the U.S. folks populations, certainly in southeastern in the southeastern portion of the United States, instead of having people come over the wall or over the, over the boundary from Mexico, it's it's racist, it's horrible, and it's it, it doesn't work. And while he's held the stand, kind of playing to his base, he has, as you pointed out before the before this this conversation on air, that uh, he's gone from forty two percent favorable to thirty six or thirty four percent favorable. Yeah. He's lost One considerably since yeah, since the, the the government has been closed down. I think folks around him at the White House understand that. His advisors understand it, and they're trying to get people to the table. Most importantly, him.
0: So, what do you think's next? What are we going to in the next week? Do, does do you think that for him not having the permission, I guess, or the invitation to deliver the State of the Union to do this thing that is really it, it's based in tradition, but it, it's so quote unquote presidential. Um, is that going to be enough to, for him to say, you know, enough's enough? Because he has agreed. He he pushed back. They played some politics, but he has said, okay, I agree. I will not deliver the State of the Union until I, I think the, the best, over. I think
4: the best road for Donald Trump to take is to act presidential and open up this government and get people paid. Thanks, Tom. Thanks,
0: Cayenne. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud, or you can check us out on our own O'Neill & Associates website. Talk to you next week.